Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi guys, it's Hillary here. Just a quick note. This series does deal with a lot of tough subject matter that may be difficult for some listeners. So please keep this in mind when and where you choose to listen to these episodes. Last episode, we discussed our prison interview with Brandon, as well as a phone call that I shared with him from his grandmother's house. Now, as a reminder, throughout Brandon's case, we have heard time and time again the suggestion from officials, family, friends, and even a member of Brandon's own family that Brandon's sexuality may have had something to do with the murder of his parents, Dennis and Norma. So in this episode, we're going to put into context what Brandon faced as a young man coming out in a tiny Texas town in 2005 and regrettably, how all these years later, not much has changed. I'm Hillary Burton Morgan, and this is True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here. Hi guys, Hillary Burton Morgan here, and I am with Dan Flaherty, Poe Cutchins, Andrew Dunn. Let's get into it. Let's talk about the climate of Texas specifically in 2005, because we can speculate what the morals and ethics of law enforcement were, but there are actual laws and legislation on the books during that era that really give you a clear picture of what Texas as a whole believed was appropriate. It was only in 2003 that the Supreme Court struck down a Texas law that banned sodomy. So the Supreme Court literally had to step in and shoot down this Texas law. And this happened just two years before it's theorized that Brandon killed his parents because they may not accept him. Now, around the same time, though sodomy is now legalized thanks to federal intervention, Texas was discriminating in other ways with strict referendums on same-sex marriage and civil unions. It wasn't until 2015 when the Supreme Court, again, had to step in and strike down all state bans on same-sex marriage, and that meant that Texas could no longer deny couples this right. But you guys, that was a 
decade after the murder of Norma and Dennis. So Brandon was in a situation growing up as like a Southern agricultural kid in 2005. And I know even in my high school in the late 90s, there weren't out openly gay kids, you know? You just didn't do that. It was scary. And so I can empathize with what he was going through and how difficult it was for him to navigate that situation. Everyone should be able to go on that journey in their own time. But unfortunately, Brandon was not afforded that opportunity. So Brandon tells us about his journey and struggle in his own words. Coming out basically when I was 18, 19 years old, um, it was a difficult process. It was different, but it wasn't like the end of the world for me. I've always been kind of like carefree and just live life. Um, there was definitely some people I didn't tell because, you know, I knew their perceptions or their persona, you know, might be different. But it's not like I was as closeted as some people would have you believe. I mean, if you looked on my MySpace, I had nothing but, you know, gay friends on there and people from the club. I was taking, you know, public pictures with these people for years. Um, obviously, I knew when I did porn that, you know, it was not going to be in a closet, you know. So it's not like, you know, they're trying to say that I had this sinister side because I had this completely hidden lifestyle. What it simply was, was I just didn't tell certain people at this time because I didn't really know for myself. I didn't know what 100% that I was gay or bisexual whether I wanted to go, you know, try to get back with my girlfriend or a boyfriend. It is so clear to me that in this case, people are not empathizing with the struggle of a young gay teenager and what he might be feeling growing up in Texas at that time. And instead, they're saying like, quote unquote, he's living a double life as if he's like a grown ass man cheating on his wife and kids with a whole other family. Why do you think the narrative of this double life is so widely used as a motive and just so intoxicating. I think for me, is like, you know, when you hear about a possible murder and a suspect and all these people who are close to him say, oh, there's no way that he could have done that. Right. And it's like, I know him. I've known him my whole life. He's just not the kind of person who would do that, right? So people have an idea of who the suspect is. But then when they learn, oh... I don't know this person as well as I thought I did. And you want to not know the person as well as you thought you did because then you're a chump. You're the chump because you didn't suspect anything about this terrible murderous person. Sure. He's like my best friend. Like, there's no way he could kill somebody. And then I find out, oh my God, he actually is somebody who I didn't know. He's not who I thought he was. Maybe he could have done it. You know, my assumption about him was wrong. Well, it's the ultimate betrayal, right? to feel that betrayed and to feel that stupid that you wouldn't know and vulnerable. Right, but I have to stress this. I can't stress it enough. Not being out to everyone is nowhere near the same as having a double life, okay? Coming out of the closet, it's a process. It's a sensitive process, especially in a place where it's not really being discussed as acceptable or even as Noel, the blood splatter expert says, as tolerated. And Brandon reiterates this in my phone call with him. Yeah, so much is made of you living this double life. Um, and anyone who knows about coming out or, or, you know, coming out stories knows that you don't rush into it. There's kind of a, there's a period of discovery that a kid goes through. How much do you think prejudice against what you were going through in that time played into this? Actually, I never really paid attention, and 
it to the extreme that the closet had a lock on it and I wasn't, you know, entering out nowhere. I was going into public gay clubs. I was going into a public gay pride parade. I was going into, I was doing, you know, I would never do porn now. It's just like I kind of regret doing it. But at the time, I made that mistake. I did that. I own up to that, but it wasn't a private thing. So um, the state wants to allude that, you know, I was so, so closeted when really I wasn't. I just wasn't telling every single person because I was confused. I didn't know myself. One thing that made me really sad is that he apologized. He said, look, you know, I made mistakes. Even though he was justifying, hey, I was gay, I didn't know, I was confused, that's why I was living a double life. He talks about he made mistakes. There were things he did were wrong about his sexuality and how he's living his life, you know, doing porn or... He thinks he's being punished for the porn. I mean, Dan, he says as much to you in his prison interview. I mean, if anybody's life was put under a magnifying glass, I don't think nobody's life would be perfect. I own up to anything that I've done in my life, you know, including the porn videos. You know, maybe I wouldn't make porn now as a 35-year-old guy, but at 18, I was just carefree. I was silly. You know, I'm not denying any of that, but I'm telling you, I didn't kill my parents. It felt like he has absorbed the message that something was wrong with him for being gay. He sounded, you know, I think he was referring to making the porn tapes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. So, Only. I don't think he was apologizing for being gay. It's something that's become so normalized today. We didn't have iPhones in 2005, right? And whether we want to admit it or not, every teenager in America has either made a video or seen a video from one of their peers. We have OnlyFans sites that 18 and up can now join. We've got kids sending Snapchats of naked pictures and things like that. It is a totally normalized behavior now. And Brandon had it weaponized against him because it was 2005 and it was taboo. I read it a little differently. I read it as him saying, like, I felt a little shame from how he was speaking. I felt like he was saying, well, I'm wise. And that was a terrible decision. He was trying to distance himself from it. And there was so much shame. I mean, of course, he's been penalized for it. It was weaponized against him and he's had no support. He didn't get to go become a person of that supportive allied community ever. He's reaching 40 and he is still locked in at 19 years old. He never got to go through the full metamorphosis. And so he's just kind of stuck in that cocoon of uncertainty I agree with Poe. I think that he feels a great deal of shame that he shouldn't feel because he has no idea what all the teenagers out here in the world are doing right now. They're all doing the same thing. There's a lens that we have to remind ourselves to look through, and it's the 2005 lens. Yeah. You know, when we filmed this episode, we really had to reconcile the fact that it's been a lot of years since Dennis and Norma died in 2005 or since Brandon's trial in 2009. And we asked ourselves, are we better now? Is our society more accepting? Is our legislation more accepting? But then after this episode aired on TV, we just had this avalanche of don't say gay bills and other legislation and book banning and checking girls' menstrual cycles to make sure they're actually girls. Well, taking away women's basic rights over their own body and privacy. And then in March of 2022, the state of Texas removed LGBTQIA plus resources from their suicide prevention website. They have a culture war against drag queen story hour. 
the very people who are out dancing at these clubs with Brandon and all of his friends are being persecuted in this same environment. So really, I just don't know that we're any better than we were in 2005 or even 2009, you know, because these laws continue to be enacted and it's happening regularly across this country and it sucks. So when we talk about a case like this that can absolutely be impacted by the timing and the culture of a specific place, we have to be so sensitive about representing a demographic that we may not necessarily be in. And so whether we are discussing issues for any marginalized community based on race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, any of that, when you are producing something, how do you approach the story so that you're not making generalizations? What do you do to ensure that you are understanding the story from the perspective of someone like Brandon? It's a really good question. I mean, we talked on our very first Get to Meet You and then, oh my God, let's plan the show about wanting certain types of cases. And one of them was absolutely about how homosexuality can be a factor in an investigation. Be weaponized. Be weaponized. And having been raised in San Francisco, especially in a period where I went to marches with Harvey Milk and stuff, you know, I felt like that was an important, very important factor in our storytelling. But you first lead with humanity. You make sure you do your work, your homework. You make sure you look deeply into these issues in a very open way. And you try to include people of all genders, races, and identities in your crew. But when we land, it's respectfully, with humanity, with empathy, including people who might be bigoted and try to understand where they're coming from, where in their life and their experience, and especially trying to, with Brandon, understand what it would be like for a person who identified the way he did and is who he is in a place that was highly religious and not accepting. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. 
That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. How do we make sure that we elevate these voices, specifically in this case, members of the LGBTQIA plus community? We try to find people who are connected to the case who can represent that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it was important for us to have representation in the show of a gay man who grew up in rural Texas. So during our research, we came across a podcaster named Scott Pogansey. And Scott was involved in this case. He did a ton of work and research on Brandon's case. Scott is a Texan. He's a gay man. He was raised in a small town, not the same one, but one that he says is every bit as similar. And so here's a man who has a similar background growing up in a small town in Texas where there's a lot of Christian bias against homosexuality in many places, especially in Texas or Texas included, believe that homosexuality is a sin that became a huge part of this case. And he could relate. And he said the case came up on TV and he saw Brandon and it became very personal to him. So he was a double resource for us. I mean, he had done a lot of his own research. So he was good just for understanding the case, but also just good on what it was like for him growing up. And it was to get a firsthand point of view from someone other than Brandon. Yeah, Scott was super resourceful for us. I remember we had kind of a different location to meet with Scott. Dan, do you remember how we booked that location? We had a location, I believe, lined up that fell through last minute. So we... Uh, needed to find a location to have your conversation with Scott pretty quickly. And that evening, actually, we needed to be all the way out in Texarkana. Oh, that's right. We had such a long drive. We had a long drive for the rest of the day. So we had a limited time to do that. So we found another location pretty quickly that was nearby where we were. Had, it was a place, I think it was on the lake, you know, and it was kind of pretty there. So we're like, great, let's do that. And we wanted to be inside. It was boiling hot oh, and humid. Oh, that's right, too. Yeah, I mean, it was, what was it, July? It was dead of summer. And it was a different location than we normally use because we normally go to, like, municipal buildings or a diner or someplace that's a little structured, office buildings, things like that. There were other things going on that day. I'm trying to remember. This was a... It was like a campground. No, it was a sort of a hobby farm that hosted events like weddings and receptions additionally. And there was basically a reception hall there. And it was right next door to a shooting range. So we we get there, we're realizing, okay, we have to contend with the audio of gunfire. We have like, in the background, there's herds of goats roaming around. Yeah, there was livestock. And we went out to speak with you outside and there was a rooster. We had to go in between the, or some kind of bird that was very loud. Here we go. Stand by. Mm-hmm. Rooka, rooka, roo. And, yep, going. The rooster was on my list. 
I was not pumped about that, especially also when you're dealing with really serious subject matter. It's one thing if you're just like joking around and you're doing lighthearted stuff and you can roll with it. But when you're trying to set a tone that is serious and respectful, having a dog barking or a rooster crowing or the gunfire or a cow mooing, like any of that is my kryptonite. And it wasn't just these exterior sounds that we're having to deal with, like birds and gunshots. You know, you can hear it a little bit in the interview with Scott. They were doing load-in for a kid's party. They were having like a graduation party. And so a whole group of teenagers showed up. Yeah, they gave us a very small window. They're like, you can come in and do your thing filming in here, but you have to be out by two o'clock or whatever time it was. That never happens. And so we get there (laughs) and then it was a million degrees out and we couldn't shut off the air conditioning. So we have to deal with the loud air conditioning noise that we couldn't shut off a very limited time to film. And we're getting towards the end of filming the scene and the people start arriving, the guests for this party start arriving. full of beer and soda pop are being loaded in. And I'm trying to have this conversation about Brandon. About life and death, we're talking. And we push it about as far as we can go. And then finally, the owners of this location were like, you gotta stop. It's so hard. It's so hard to get, I mean, you can't get pristine. And if you're outside, you know, suddenly the camera will whip away from the subject to capture the plane or the bus that went by or the birds that are chirping in the tree so that we can show people what that noise is and sort of justify it for the viewer. We call it the motivation for the sound because if you hear it and it disrupts, but if you understand how it's integrated into the world and the world opens up, it doesn't always work that way. But that's what we try to do. And Andrew is like incredible as a DP with an ear for what else is happening, both story-wise and also environmentally. Well, if there's no sound, there's no picture, really. Sound is actually more important in many ways than uh, picture. Says the director of photography, which is something most cinematographers have no clue of. I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're sitting, think about it, nobody does. If you have a silhouette of a person at a window at night and you hear crickets, that person's in the country. And if you hear sirens, that person's in the city and nothing's changed with the shot. And that's something most people don't realize. Sound is the subconscious of the film or of the show. And you have to pay an incredible amount of attention to it. I just want to say, I think actually we were timing part of the interview between rounds of gunfire from the shooting range. We had to stop and count, oh, well, that magazine, so many shots fired oh, their clip is empty. Let's continue. Yeah. I mean, that's Andrew counting. Like, not all of us are versed, but Andrew is the master of all things, so he will know how many clips some... The Boy Scout knew. (laughs) Yeah, the Boy Scout knew. (laughs) But even through all of this, Scott, he's such a trooper, and he was so great in our sit-down, and this was important to him. And so while we didn't have much time for our interview, we really covered a lot of ground. And it all starts with how Scott first became aware of Brandon's case and what he did next. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved in this situation. Sure. When I first saw it, uh, I was at dinner with a friend and they, and Brandon's mugshot came up on the TV as being arrested for his parents' murders. Mm -hmm. And I, my friend said, you know, oh my gosh, that's my ex-boyfriend. And I was like, wow, that's weird. I looked up and I saw his mugshot and I was like, that does not look like a guy that would kill his parents. You know, he just, he looked innocent and young and, you know, I mean, just like, he looked like a kid. And I'm like, 
it just doesn't make sense, you know. So over the next few years, I just kind of followed it, you know, with Google searches every once in a while just to see what was going on with the case. Mm -hmm. And eventually in 2009, I Googled it one day and saw that he was convicted. And it just didn't set right with me. You know, it's like this kid is, is screaming that he's innocent and that he didn't do this. And I'm like, well, that just, you know, it just doesn't, like, I've always been kind of the Perry Mason fan, you know, yeah. I've always been the one that, you know, someone says they're innocent and then Perry Mason comes in and proves it at the last second. So that's been, I've, I've always been kind of that mindset uh, when it came to like criminal law and stuff like that. I always wanted to be a lawyer, you know, I wanted to be Perry Mason. You so, did? Yeah. When you guys first met Scott, how did he come across to you? Well, I mean, I heard his story of how he first got introduced to the case and interested in the case and his immediate perception of his thoughts on Brandon's situation. And that made me skeptical of Scott. I mean, he's already made up his mind. How could this guy have done this? And I don't think he's guilty, you know, right away. So I mean, it's, it's a classic so, face value assessment. Young man looks innocent. I mean, we hear this on the news every day. This is what we're wary of is somebody who's automatically going to make a snap judgment mm -hmm. and base it on a gut. I sure. certainly was. I mean, he's saying, I identify with Brandon, and therefore I think Brandon's innocent. It's like, that's not enough, you know? So for me, it just made me approach Scott with a certain amount of caution, you know what I mean? A, yeah. a really trying to understand where he's coming from and looking at the stuff that he dug up and to take, you know, really a critical look at Scott all the way through, you know? And I wasn't sure how he would be as an interview either, like if he was going to really sort of show any bias. But he did well. He has dug into this case and was able to sort of separate his initial impressions of what was going on with the facts that he dug up. Right. He was a great resource. We knew he was going to be a great resource because he has a blog and has really, really dug in. And that was great. And we wanted and hoped that a person like him could be this representative, connected person to represent you know, Brandon's perspective while also giving good information. But that was the crux of whether or not he would be able to arrive in a way that felt like a real solid non-armchair quarterback type. Yeah, I mean, we're not looking to just interview people who are unbiased. We have Noel, who is 100% certain this kid is guilty, mm -hmm. you know? And then we have someone like Scott, who is 100% that Brandon is innocent. And it's important to represent both perspectives. But to your point, I don't think that Scott arrived at his decision without a ton of research. So once you found out that Brandon had been convicted of his parents' murder, why get involved? Again, it was one of those things that it just, it didn't make sense to me. You know, the way that he looked, him professing his innocence, just things didn't add up. So I just basically decided to write him a letter. Okay. And I was like, hey, I'm a friend of a friend, you know, kind of introduced myself. And it took him about a year, but he finally wrote back. It's funny, I went to my mailbox one day and I, I get this letter from Brandon Dale Woodruff. And I, I literally had, you know, it's been a year, like yeah. I'd forgotten that I even wrote him. And I was like, Brandon Dale Woodruff. Oh, that's, and then I opened it like as fast as I could. Yeah. And I was like, I read the letter and, you know, he basically said, yeah, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. Um, and what really struck me was he said, don't, you don't have to take my word for it. I will get you in touch with my friend. She'll give you the whole defense file. You can look through it. You can see that I'm innocent. And I'm, in, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, who am I? Like, I'm nobody. But he's like so vested in making me, nobody that he's ever met, didn't know him, 
believe that he's innocent. So that, again, really made me take notice. Like, this just doesn't add up, you know? It's not like he just said, yeah, I'm innocent. What's up, dude? You know, like, he was so adamant about his innocence. So when I got that letter, I, uh, we basically just kind of started writing back and forth as pen pals and stuff. I got the, the defense file. And I looked through everything, and I was sitting there, and every time I would turn a page, I would think to myself, okay, this is going to be why they arrested him, or this is going to, the next page is going to tell me why they convicted him. And I got through the whole case file, tens of thousands of pages, and I didn't see anything, nothing that put him at the crime, nothing that put him at the crime scene, nothing that had any kind of inference that he was, that he was there at that time. And then what I just started discovering was not only was there nothing that put him there at the crime, but there were things that were pointing, saying he wasn't there. And so once I started realizing that this guy is actually innocent, I didn't really feel like I had a choice. Like I had to get involved. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. What I like about Scott is that I felt the same way you did, Dan. Going into this, I'm like, this guy has created, you know, a whole podcast called American Justice. He has a website for Brandon. He has thrown his life into defending Brandon. And it gave me pause. I was like, what's the angle? Because unfortunately... I think everyone has an angle. When we met Scott, I was struck by the fact that he doesn't seem like a provocative person. He doesn't seem like someone who's out there looking for confrontation or looking for fights or looking to insert himself in bad situations. This is someone who saw a call to arms and was like, God, I have to do it. Right. He did not feel like he was on this mission because he wanted to shove himself into the spotlight. I mean, he's a little bit like, you know, he's shy. shy. Right. Yes. He's a shy guy. Here's what happens in a small community when something like this occurs. Brandon is not just Brandon anymore. Brandon is a symbol. 
or every other gay kid in the community. And if it could happen to him, you know, it's literally the title of our show. It couldn't happen here. I mean, it could. It did. It happened to Brandon. And I hate that. I hate that there was an entire generation of Scots and Brandons who had to grow up watching the news coverage and watching Brandon's lifestyle be vilified. And what a chilling effect. I mean, if that then is called a motive, like either he didn't want them to find out or they found out and there was a fight, then how can anyone feel safe coming out? So we talked with Scott about that in our interviews with him. Luckily, I've been out of the closet for over 25 years, so it's not that big a deal for now. But I fear for the youth that are going through that process now You know, if you're struggling with your sexuality and you're hiding that part of yourself, what can these prosecutors and what can these investigators say about that that they can accuse you of anything? The mantra that Ranger Collins used throughout this investigation, that if you can lie about being gay, you can lie about killing your parents, is just absolutely ridiculous. You're talking about somebody that's keeping their private life private instead of being out there and open to the public about their private life and then talking about them being a liar because of it. If you ever go out and ask any gay person in the world if coming out and dealing with their sexuality was a small thing, I think 100% of them would tell you no, it was probably the biggest thing in their life. But Ranger Collins... Coming from that perspective of a heterosexual male, to him, being gay is no big thing. It's not something that you have to hide from everyone. What he doesn't realize and he doesn't take into perspective is that it is a big deal for gay people. They don't want to tell the church friends. They don't want to tell the school friends. Uh, They don't have... Sometimes, most of the time, they don't feel comfortable telling their own family. And it's a huge thing that weighs on their minds for sometimes years before they are even comfortable telling one person. I also spoke with Scott about some of the laws on the books back in 2005 and 2009 that would have created a sense of fear or quiet or hesitation. And I talked to him about the ones that we discussed earlier in this episode, how sodomy was illegal in Texas until 2003, and gay marriage at a national level was still almost a decade away from being passed. And this is what Scott had to say. Brandon was very, you know, he was being told systemically from a young age that being gay is not okay. Mm-hmm. And so it's illegal. It's illegal. You can't you couldn't do it if if you were a consenting adult. So what makes him think that it's going to be okay to come out? What makes him think it's going to be okay to be himself? Mm-hmm. It's that point right there that systemically from a young age Brandon is being told it is wrong to be gay. And that's the message these kids are getting. It's devastating. That the institutions in our country that are set up to protect all of us are writing down in the books that you're the problem, you're the danger, you're the thing that we have to protect other people from. You know, we talked about the trial a couple episodes ago, but I also wanted to get Scott's thoughts on it. During Brandon's trial, do you feel that in rural Texas, he was able to have an unbiased jury? Absolutely not. And the reason that I say that is because 
in East Texas at, in 2005, remember we're going back, you know, many years at yeah. this point. Um, he, there was, there were, Greenville and Hunt County is the kind of town where you, you know, you can't throw a rock without hitting a church. The bias against homosexuals in general is, is not good. Mm -hmm. But then when you get on trial and they're bringing up the fact that you're gay, they're bringing up the fact that you did gay porn, like, I don't believe that people can put aside their bias to look at the facts of the case. And then they started bringing up stuff like, well, Brandon's hiding his sexuality. Not only is he gay, but he's lying to people about his sexuality. He's telling them that he's straight. And I believe that that kind of made the jury realize or think to themselves, well, if he's lying about his homosexuality, then what else could he be lying about? And that was part of the mantra of the investigation and the trial. And, you know, and it drives me crazy when people say that he had a double life. You know, he's a 19-year-old kid. He's struggling with his sexuality. He doesn't even know if he's gay or not. He knows that he, that he likes guys, and he knows that he wants to explore that side of himself, but he still had a girlfriend that he loved very much. Yeah. So, you know, it just, it's just so unfortunate that the prosecution and the investigators used that fact against him and, and then presented it in court. They're using him keeping his private life private as motive, to, as, as motive and, and just character assassination. That's the only way that they were able to convict him is, you know, they, they had no proof, you know, but they were able to convict him by making him out to be this big fat liar. What's crazy to me is that they continued this point of lie, 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 lie. And I just want to not only look at what gay kids go through right now in the coming out process, but in 2005, because I didn't know a single person in my high school that was out. I knew a lot of people who I knew were gay, who I hung out with outside of school, but no one that would admit it in the hallways of the school. And the pattern was that you would leave for college and freshman year, you would go somewhere far enough away from home that you could go experiment with who you wanted to be. And I have personal experience with this. You know, what Brandon was doing was the formula for what teenagers did at the time. Wasn't he just doing what every teen does, which is lie? Uh, is, I'm not going to tell no. my parents if I'm having sex at 18, 19 years old. And it doesn't matter who it's that with. I don't think that that's lying. I think that's just creating, I mean, okay, when po, we, po, when no, you have teenage kids, Andrew, would you want your child to call you and say, dad, I'm sleeping with so-and-so? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's different than lying. It's, it's, <laughs> it's withholding things that maybe they don't want to share. I mean, withholding and lying are different. Lying means you say, this is not true. Withholding means you're not going to share a portion of your life with certain people. There's a big difference between withholding and lying unless, I mean, in many cases, of course, there's an overlap, but those are two different things. Well, it's the practice of omission. And Brandon didn't even seem to be doing that. You know, we know that his roommates, his friends, his parents, his aunt, all of these people knew Brandon's experimenting. Brandon's going down well, a different path. Sure. And I, and but I think, he still had a girlfriend. I think what you're talking about is really interesting, right? I mean, even back then, this is years ago, but every generation goes through it. Like you were saying, you don't tell your parents 
what you're doing. No. And even just understanding of the lifestyle of this group of people. So when they're talking to Ranger Collins, I believe, and I forget which witness it was, was saying that one of their friends, a female friend, was having a bachelorette party at this gay club. And Ranger Collins was like kind of in disbelief. Like, why would a bunch of, you know, women go to a gay club? As if it was so absurd for him to think this. And it's like, yeah, no, they went to this club and they partied, you know? And it was, yeah. So the kids all thought, okay, yeah, we all go to this club and it's a gay club or straight club or whatever it is. And they were all kind of okay going to this club. And Ranger Collins just thought this was, somebody's lying here because there's no way that that happened. And I think that's just kind of indicative of the generational sort of perception. Same with like, drag queen story hour. They think that that's a strip club. It's insidious. And, yeah. and they don't realize that it's camp and it's funny and that it's performance and that it's something that's been going on for centuries and millennia, probably. I mean, we have some evidence of that. So, you know, it's like seeing something as seedy and horrible that could just be frivolity. Yeah, fun. It's just fun. Fun for other people. Yeah. Now, Scott still talks to Brandon in prison quite a bit. So did he talk to you about that, about what their relationship looks like at this point? Scott? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they do speak often. And I think Brandon appreciates having someone on the outside who believes in him and trusts him outside of his own family, you know? Well, I mean, for anybody else that is going through the coming out process, you find your community, right? And you make your friendships in that community and you find your support group. And it helps you build a life that is healthy. Hopefully, you know, that's the hope that you have for people. Brandon went to prison immediately. And I don't know that there is any kind of support for him in that facility to A, explore who he is, B, process what's happened to him. And so Scott being an ally on the outside, it is powerful on a lot of different levels. I'm so glad Brandon has someone like Scott. I'm so grateful that he took the time to sit with us and give us his insight because he was so thoughtful and articulate and I really felt that his mission was one that people can support. He studied the case and he's fought for what he believes and he continues to fight for what he believes in. And that's Brandon's innocence. So we'll talk more about that fight as well as Brandon and his legal team's ongoing quest for justice in our next episode. That's it for this week's episode of True Crime Story. It couldn't happen here, but be sure to join us next week as we dive deeper into the Brandon Woodruff case. Does he have hope? Do you have hope? Is there hope? There's always hope. I wouldn't give up hope completely. There's always hope. Join us next week as we continue to roll up our sleeves and dig in. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't watched Sundance TV's True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here, you can catch all of our episodes streaming on AMC+. For more information about this and other cases we've covered, follow at... I-C-H-H Stories on Instagram. True Crime Story It Couldn't Happen Here was produced by Mischief Farm in association with Bungalow Media and Entertainment, Authentic Management Productions, and Figdonia in partnership with Sundance TV. Executive producers are me, Hillary Burton Morgan, 
Liz DeCessory, Robert Friedman, Mike Powers, and Meg Mortimer. Producers are Maggie Robinson-Katz and Libby Siegel. Our audio engineer is Brendan Dalton with original music by Philip Ridiotis. We want to say a special thank you to everyone who participated, but especially the families impacted by our cases. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.